0: Three, two, one, zero, zero. SMN. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. Hello and welcome to Circular Business Podcast India. I'm your host, those, Sri Priya Sridharan, and you're listening to my pilot project on circularity. On this series, we will be talking about the basics of circular economy, which will involve discussion on existing practices in India, and we'll also brainstorm on how our economy can transform through the application of circular business models. By the way, please do let me know of what you think about this podcast. If wherever you're listening allows you to, then please leave a comment and rate us. You can use our hashtag #CircularBusinessPodcastIndia Business India, or hashtag CBPI. Your feedback matters to us. And I really do want to hear your thoughts and suggestions. So don't hesitate. In the previous episode we discussed and opened our minds to the application of circular business model to the ceramic industry. Hey, in case you haven't checked that out, please go have a look. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the application of circular business model to the glamorous fashion industry. Yes, you heard it right. Our guest, Kanika Ahuja. Director of Conserve India and founder of the fashion brand Lefafa is addressing to the problem of plastic waste in landfills in their own unique way. Through their plastic recycling technology, they are empowering low-income communities to use plastic waste as a resource and in a way create attractive fashion accessories. Their unique proprietary technology converts single-use plastics to a type of vegan leather. Isn't that amazing? Well, let's hear it from Kanika herself. Kanika, welcome to Circular Business Podcast India.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. Kanika, who were you
0: before sustainability and fast fashion became a buzzword?
1: Uh, So as a child, growing up, my family has always been into sustainability. All my aunts uncles they have been fighting for environmental law, uh, for dignity of labor. And my parents had started Conserve India as an NGO in 1998, working in energy efficiency and waste management. And so sustainability was not a new concept for me. It was an everyday thing that's, you know, just supposed to be there. And but for me growing up, I was never pushed into the field, and because my family also thought that the other side of uh, not being in this fight, not being in this revolution, was easier. So I did engineering, I did an MBA, I got a corporate job, but it just didn't make me happy. And then I switched over and entered sustainability full fledgedly.
0: Interesting. So uh, since you mentioned your parents started it in 1998, so uh, how, how did you look at the fashion industry or the garments industry as a kid? I'm sure you must be going to the karkhanas to pay a visit.
1: Uh, yes. So, I mean, like, artisanal heritage and things have been very important uh, to my family, like, even between all my cousins. So, learning about different ways, where things come from in India, the diverse heritage that we have in India has always been integral. And, but as kids, of course, you know, we just got normal clothes, lots of hand-me-downs. I'm the youngest sibling. so <laughs> But it was just a culture. It was... Uh, Nothing. Like, you know, now we read about thrift stores and, you know, uh, having extra clothes, extra swaps and things like that. But it was just so normal when we were kids and it wasn't Mm. like buzzed up. It was just a normal culture.
0: So uh, just to understand um, while India has been great in terms of i think most of the middle class households have had this about hand me downs and especially the youngest sibling will have clothes from yeah. everywhere <laughs> cousins <laughs> ka bhi nahi choda jata so so that has yeah. been uh, I, I don't know, as a kid, I I didn't understand whether that practice was good or bad. But now I understand because maybe the quality of the clothes were better. So it was at yes. least possible to give a hand-me-down, right? So what exactly is fast fashion?
1: So fast fashion is basically because uh, everybody wanted to get runway design clothes and fashionable clothes, which are on trend. Uh, Fast fashion companies, you know, spearheaded by Zara at that time, uh, started this culture of copying uh, uh, runway designs and like, you know, they had a life cycle of uh, design to showroom in four weeks. It was very fast to to have uh, runway designs, like mimicries of them, cheaper versions of them in stores in four weeks. They were priced at a very low cost, but somebody else in the supply chain is paying that price but the consumers were very happy because you have stylish clothes at a cheap price and which are easily accessible to you so that's why the trend picked up and now we have like asos h&m primark fast fashion giants like becoming global okay so yes.
0: fashion shows and um, clothes displays the pehle bhi hote so what is different today
1: Yeah, but it was never accessible to the middle class, right? What was happening on the runways. These companies just made it accessible to the middle class. Of course, there's a high aspiration value when you see fashion shows. And when you have that exposure to it, you know, there is a big aspiration value. And if somebody is delivering, like, you know, not the same piece, but something like that at a much lower cost, then, of course, it drives sales. Uh, So
0: that means consumers are aspiring for better looking and fancy products, and these brands have made it accessible and available. India is super price conscious, especially for even for the basic consumer needs of Roti Kapada makan. So awareness aaya kaise? and is it even getting a base here in India?
1: So I think the movement uh, has started in India, but it has come in pretty late. Because even today, like most of the Indian population would love to shop from H&M and Zara. Just because, you know, Zara is in India is still taken as a well-positioned brand. And it's not taken as a, you know, middle-class brand. So that's why even today, you know, if you enter Zara shop, it's full. And yeah. most people shop from there. But it's just that there's a very slight audience. A very niche audience, you know, which hopefully will get much larger in the years to come because we need that movement to come in. But this audience is really working hard to, you know, create more awareness, to support uh, sustainable designers and, you know, to just give momentum to this movement so that we can accelerate it. And which is essential at this point, because if more awareness is not created about this issue, then India is going to, you know, turn up in the same way as like what America has done to itself. With so much waste being produced, like America has the highest per capita waste production. And a lot of that is textiles.
0: Absolutely. So where are the loopholes? If you could just explain to a layman, what is the process of a cloth by the time it reaches our um, wardrobes?
1: so, I mean, I would say there are different processes for uh, fabrics that are being made from natural sources and uh, the fast fashion kind of fabrics that we get in stores. So the fast fashion fabrics are usually uh, derived from petroleum. So they have a high uh, high this plastic component in it. And that's why to recycle. And then they're blended with fibers. So that's why once the fabric is blended, it becomes very difficult to recycle it. So that's why having natural fibers, like if you're just wearing a cotton shirt, you know, if it's like uh, all cotton, then it's still possible to recycle that. But uh, blended fibers create a huge problem. But that's not the only problem in the supply chain. Of course, collection remains the largest challenge. Because, you know, even when you go, like, we have a project near the Yamna River. And there's just so much textile waste over there on the banks of the river. And that's all, like, katran, that, you know, like, there's a local tailoring business over there. Lots of tailors are there. And then they just throw the katran into the river. So the first challenge remains that how do you collect all of this katran waste, post-consumer waste, and how do you recycle it then?
0: Katran means uh,
1: thrown away clothes, is it? So, Katran is basically a common word for like cuttings. So, when like uh, the tailor is, you know, stitching a top, then they have like strips of fabric that get Mm -hmm. discarded. Yeah. Because usually, you know, when we're like recycling something and all like metal scraps and all, they just melt it back. But with textiles, we can't do that. So, then these uh, cuttings of these wastages, they, We have no process for how to use those things. Okay. So, could
0: you just explain how Conserve India used to
1: take a fabric? So, even our project, uh, like, uh, we have a separate plastic recycling project and a separate textile recycling project. I mean, the Katran waste and all, like, uh, there are groups, artisanal groups that we are... Uh, aware of and we work with them. They use these cotton waste to create like carpets and rugs. And so, you know, it's just woven together. But beyond that, like uh, fiber, uh, fabrics that are made from natural fibers, they can be recycled. Even if there's a small percentage of synthetics, it's, you know, still manageable. So that's how, when we collect all of that textile waste, that is all shredded back into fluff and uh, then that fluff is woven back it's spun into a yarn like you know on a power loom and then it's uh, woven back into fabric so while we weave it back then like we have an option to you know make it like 100% recycled or you add some virgin fabric to it or you add some other natural fibers to it to just like give it more strength.
0: Okay. Wow. That was, uh, I, I had no idea about this whole process over there. So while you, you have followed a path of many Indian kids, like a journey through engineering, then an MBA, how did you find your way back into fashion, which was your family business?
1: Yeah, because I was just not happy in my corporate job and, uh, Like I was also working for a company that, you know, has had very bad uh, environmental and social policies. And it was just, you know, I was like, I don't want to work and help this company. So that's why uh, I chose to like, you know, go back into the field of sustainability. And I launched my first uh, like sustainability oriented business called Cleverbud, which was a hydroponics food growing system so we had set this up in like the low income area in Bhadurgarh, haryana and we trained uh, the women there on how to use the system so but after that once uh, like I, I mean i was i realized at that point that i was very early in the hydroponics journey in india so that's why i shifted back to uh, launching Lifafa as a sustainable fashion brand could you just
0: Explain again about how you impacted the community of women through Cleverbag. Uh,
1: so, Cleverbag was an enterprise where uh, we started uh, putting up uh, hydroponics systems in low-income areas. So, for as a pilot project, we had first installed three hydroponic systems in Badurgar, in the slums of Badurgar. So, these were all slums that were shifted out of Delhi when the Commonwealth uh, happened. They were just pushed out of the city. Okay. And then it's like, you know, two hours away from the city, they have no access to jobs or food or anything, you know, they're exploited at all levels. And so that's why malnutrition was a big issue. And that's why we set up, uh, set up these hydroponic projects over there with an intention that it would create a livelihood uh, program for the women employed by this, uh, this project and also provide food to the community. So once we uh, started, we trained uh, four uh, four to five women there on how to use this system and how do you cultivate food in this non-soil system. And uh, so this was a basically like a research project to understand how to adapt hydroponics um, for India. Uh, so it still exists. And we also set up one more unit in a low-income school in Punjabi Bagh then.
0: Okay. That's, that's a noble entrepreneurial journey. So then um, when did uh, you consider about Lifafa and how did the idea grow? Uh,
1: so I started then, uh, I mean, venturing towards fashion because uh, I have always had an interest in fashion. And uh, I also knew that I'm very early in the hydroponics journey in India. And so that was just a personal as well as a business choice that I made at that point to switch to sustainable fashion, and also because of the plastic project that my parents had created, I always believed that it had uh, that it had huge potential, and it was an innovation that has to be spread, because plastic waste has uh, you know come so much into the limelight, and you know we have an innovation that uh, may you know that can help the problem. That's why I really wanted to take up that cause to spread this technology and like make a real impact in plastic waste management.
0: In terms of sustainability, what is what is different about LaFafa?
1: So um, at LaFafa basically we have this patented technology to convert plastic waste into like and this a single-use plastic waste like plastic bags or HDB um, bags. And then these are converted to a new material which seems like leather. So it's basically something that you can use instead of leather. And we don't use any dyes in the process. Like all the prints and all are created uh, by layering the different plastic bags on top of each other. And it's like creating a watercolor painting that, you know, you need to mix these shades to like get the final uh, output on the screen. So uh that's why it was a very artistic process that i enjoyed and you know it serves a great value of like giving dignity of labor to waste pickers who have always been an exploited class as well as you know cleaning up our landfills and rivers of plastic waste so for me like you know this project just had so much uh going on for it like you know so many positives so that's why I was always really drawn to it. And for me, like I launched Live Afa in India because I believed that, you know, this it's coming in India, this whole movement and this consciousness of, uh, you know, trying to do something about it. Like, especially in our generation, you know, like between all of my friends, everybody really has a good intention. You know, that's the first step of like creating a revolution in how we are like, first we need to have an intention to change. And that's where we are at right now. So now we just need good products and services that uh, can, you know, uh, move forward that intention and get it to action.
0: Awesome. So at present, what are the products that Lifafa offers and what all do you plan to offer next?
1: (laughs) So at the moment, uh, Lifafa has this range of uh, bags and laptop uh, sleeves, diaries, Uh, So we basically make like fashion accessories and these are all made out of our patented material, handmade recycled plastic. And in going forward, I really want to collaborate with uh, designers uh, as as sustainable fashion designers in India, as well as uh, artisan groups and, you know, crafts of India, but merge them with uh, our contemporary design to give a more like fusion look because like I love contemporary design, but I also love uh, Indian crafts. And that's why I really want to uh, create a collection now where we have, so, you know, that also benefits the waste pickers in creating this material, but also uh, benefits our artisans because, you know, it is like India's heritage and uh, it is dying at this point. So we really need to revive it.
0: Okay. In fact, uh, that's where my next uh, question was also coming from. While you measure the impact, yes, it is a sustainable brand. What all goes behind it to call it sustainable? And how tough or easy is the collaboration aspect of it? What does the circle of collaboration look like?
1: (laughs) So, for me, I mean, that's definitely like, you know, a tough uh, question to answer because uh, there is no like, uh, you know, standard on what is a sustainable brand. And like, you know, you can have, you know, like certifications like the GOTS for cotton or GRS for recycling or, you know, fair trade for social compliances. But, you know, like sustainable, like, you know, being a sustainable brand is also being abused just as a marketing gimmick by many, many organizations. So, you know, we therefore definitely need more uh, transparency on, like, why brands are calling themselves sustainable and, you know, how are they backing that with action. So for me personally, sustainability is, uh, you know, consists of both environmental sustainability as well as, you know, social compliance to fair standards. And for that... um, Like, we do not have a GRS certification at this point, but, uh, you know, how we work, how we collect the plastic, uh, the waste pickers that we work with, like, all of that data we make available through our communications. So, you know, you, uh, you can see, like, anybody is welcome to, you know, come and visit the recycling project, see how it happens. We have videos on it. So that's the environmental part where we are saying that you know, we are decreasing the amount of plastic in the waste stream and other waste materials. but And on the social compliance part, we are a fair trade certified organization. So we need to ensure that fair wages are paid to every person involved in the supply chain. And fair wages are like usually, and yes, definitely in India, much higher than the minimum wage that is set by the government. And of course, it has other components of, you know, no child labor, no discrimination. So all of this process, all of this is followed through the supply chain.
0: Okay. So Kanika, I have a question there from from the perspective of fair trade. Now, um, in the fashion industry, uh, especially for your brand, a lot of raw materials would be from the waste side or recyclable materials. So how is that network, how does that network look like and who does that fair trade apply to when it comes to the lower part of the pyramid?
1: So fair trade is basically a concept to ensure dignity of labor. And Mm -hmm. for us, the starting point in the supply chain are the waste pickers. So we need to ensure that, uh, you know, when we have, Created this group of waste pickers that we are working with. We don't, uh, you know, have any. Or even within the group, you know, there is no discrimination on gender, caste. Uh, like women are, you know, taken care of. There is a like bathroom or uh, like you know a fire exit wherever they're working. And, um, and then and then they paid a fair wage for the amount of effort that they are putting into the work, into the job that they're doing. So, fair wage becomes the biggest component because, you know, working in the waste picker community, in the slum itself, it's sometimes, you know, it's just not feasible to say that, you know, wear protective equipment when you're working on the job and all. Because, of course, like, you know, uh, we've given the protective equipment to them and all, but for them, it's like, you know, very silly, like, they because, you know, they're like, we're living here, we're eating here, just, you know, when we are doing your job for four hours, we wear gloves. Like, and, you know, of course, you understand those practical considerations then, but, uh, and there's nothing that you can do about it. But, you know, to be compliant, that yes, these are the efforts that we put in, but it's sometimes not practical on the ground. Right.
0: So are they employed directly by you or you collaborate with social enterprises for that?
1: Uh, No, they directly work with us. Okay. So uh, how our model works is that we train like various groups and like this one particular like waste pickle group that I'm talking about, we gave them a training for one and a half years on how to build this material, like how, what kind of plastics should you collect, uh, how to uh, identify colors. Like because, you know, being in fashion colors are extremely important. But, you know, this whole picker uh, population comes from, you know, there's some big migrant population coming from uh, different parts of India and also, you know, refugees. So language is a challenge. So we developed this new language for colors. And because also in Hindi, you don't even have that many uh, names for different colors and plastic bags come in a multitude of colors. So that's why Bollywood stars, everybody knows. So that's yes. why we created this new language on like, you know, how jet black is Shah Rukh Khan or you know, slightly like gray is Salman Khan. So then, you know, we have posters set up where uh, it's just like, okay, you know, need five more kgs of Salman Khan. Wow, <laughs> that. that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. So just after different trainings, once the trainings are completed and they know how to do everything, then we start, then we create this group as an independent business and we place our orders to them.
0: That's that's really nice and quite unique way to communicate because spreading an awareness is a tough job, especially when it comes to explaining a concept in layman terms. It is a skill indeed. That's really yeah. great. How do they find you? Kiha, Lifafa, or like your organization's name, how do they come to you? I want to work for you.
1: Uh, I mean, that part is that, you know, we get many, many like requests from NGOs uh, all over India that, uh, you know, please come and train us and we're happy to train. But it's just that everybody's challenge is marketing. And, yeah. you know, as a small brand, we also know that this is how much we can sell and we can't guarantee these groups who we will train that we will buy our products and for them you know for these like small ngos that work all over india they're doing great work you know in terms of community building but how do they market the products and finally earn revenue so yeah. that is a big challenge so that's why like you know leveraging the export network that has conserve has built over 15 years comes into play so that's why just through doing wholesale orders and exports, we are able to support a much larger number of people.
0: Absolutely. And when was this topic of uh, circular economy? I mean, I know now it is slowly becoming known and I'm sure you might be applying these principles before since you were already into this industry. When did, when did you become aware about what is circular economy and how is it related to your business?
1: Mm I think I first heard about it about 3 years ago 3 okay. or 4 years ago and uh, yes I was quite intrigued uh, by the whole concept like yes like you know we have been applying certain concepts uh, that apply to circular economy but uh, to you know think of it as a system of economy was still a you know much bigger picture that I was intrigued by since then, I've become very, very passionate about, you know, making the circular economy happen for, you know, and not just in upcycling, but, you know, just as a way of life. And, right. you know, through rental, through reuse, repair. And, of course, you know, for the things that we have already manufactured, recycling and upcycling plays a big part. But going forward, we also need to understand that we don't create that waste in the first place.
0: Absolutely. In fact, um, over there was my next question. While, um, and now that you said circular economy, the topic you got introduced, the word you got introduced three years back, but you were already doing a lot of activities without just a defining name against it. How has the market responded or reciprocated when you came up with this idea, be it consumers, be it even the fashion industry as such? How do they reciprocate in terms of creating a business model around a sustainable brand?
1: I think in it, like it is quite complicated, and especially like if you talk about. Uh, Other businesses, like, I mean, it's only now that, you know, bigger brands uh, like H&M or Arvind, you know, they've started talking about collaborations with social enterprises. But uh, like our social enterprise was launched in 2005. At that point, and even like till three years ago, nobody, I mean, most people in India still really understood that what a social enterprise is. And especially also, like an NGO, okay, like, you know, an NGO is making products. We have this preconceived notion that, you know, the products won't be of good quality or, you know, they won't have a strong enough supply chain to, uh, you know, manage the orders. But, So, you know, it has been a challenge trying to fight these preconceived notions and, you know, to make them believe that social enterprises can deliver whatever you need as in a great quality whenever you need. Of course, there are challenges, you know, I'm not saying that it's easy. It's much, much harder to run a social enterprise than it is to run a regular manufacturing company because like in our business when we have to make a product suppose you know we get an order for a thousand bags of a particular shade then we have to make sure that you know in the landfill we find that much uh, amount of plastic in that shade only and so yes, that has definitely you know been a challenge at times. It has delayed our orders at times, but like usually we have been pretty blessed to have buyers who understand these challenges and they are okay with certain delays. Okay. But when bigger, it's only this year that I've seen, and like last year that I've seen that bigger brands are initiating these conversations now so i think it's a move in the right direction because especially you know being hit with the pandemic this year and all it's really exposed uh, the gaps that we have in you know infrastructure and policy for you know all of these social environmental compliance issues and it's only when bigger brands will come into play that you know we can really have powerful impact quickly
0: absolutely could you highlight what a few of the gaps that you just mentioned in terms of policies or even the infrastructure?
1: And just, you know, like the infrastructure, like when the lockdown happened, of course it wasn't implemented correctly, but even if it was like, you know, we don't have enough healthcare, we don't have, uh, you know, uh, enough public infrastructure in terms of transport to like, you know, suppose, carry the migrant population even if there was an intention to do that. And it's just the whole grassroots community was totally just left, uh, like forgotten about. And, right. and, it, and it is the, you know, backbone of our economy. Like you can't forget uh, the waste pickers, the farmers, the migrant population in construction. And this whole large part of the society was just like expected to take care of themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the... And has that impacted your business as well?
1: So I think I mean um, we were really like already very very closely tied to this grassroots community. So for us, it's like you know just it's been a slow adaptation to like getting uh, to ensure that you know we do have uh, some safety net to fall back on to build more resilience into our own organization. You know that in terms of calamities like this like what do you do like we don't have a defined system as and you know as a small organization i think most small organizations face this that you know we don't have like developed systems of processes of like what do you do if this happens because you know we just so caught up in like everyday things so that definitely we try to like work upon your factory is based out of uh, so, we don't have our own factory anymore. And that was like a business decision that we took in 2016. where okay. uh, we, And it was a more strategic decision in terms of the impact that we were creating. Because this is when I took over Conserve India. And for me, it was um, more like that, you know, Conserve India was started on a mission to empower the weaker sections of society while like managing waste and mm. because we built up this whole big factory and you know then we were so caught up in like factory and exports and you know we just became a manufacturing unit of course benefiting the employees that we have but like for me the vision was about scaling the project and replicating it in different parts of india as well as the world to spread the technology and so that's why we chose to then uh, shut down our factory and just have partner units where we could train them and okay. now our partner units only supply to us.
0: Oh, that's awesome Now, your product is made out of recyclables. What would your uh, once the use is done for uh, the your your products? what would the um, disposal cycle look like? And is there a method you have already thought in mind?
1: Yes. Uh, so this is uh, like you've really hit on my big plan that I want to create. Wow, so, I'm glad. Uh, so because Conserve has basically been exporting these products since the last 15 years, we could not do anything about it because we can't get them shipped back. That'll just be mm-hmm. a waste of resources. But that's why I want to build the India sales channels and the India producer groups, you know, who are uh, like distributed across India. And then we could create a collection system and the products can be easily recycled and using the same technology. So the plan is then that first we create packaging out of it, which would be very thin. And initially, like from the plastic bags, we create a packaging material. And then this packaging material can be recollected and reprocessed into fashion accessories. And then this fashion accessories can be recollected and processed into like interior products like wallpaper, outdoor furniture. And then these can be recollected and reprocessed back into construction material like tiles and window fittings. So, you know, this will therefore then create a complete circular economy loop of uh, what is happening to the products at the end of life. And um of course you know it doesn't give them an infinite life but it at least extends the value chain of these single-use plastics to at least you know a a hundred years once they're in you know used as construction products so that way at least for you know 100 years you can keep these plastics out of the landfill
0: (laughs) i am really inspired by this plan because even as a manufacturer even a designer thinking about waste at the beginning itself is a first step for change and i think that that's a great step and i really wish you all the best and please um i would in thank fact, you why, so much i'm glad i'm glad you are taking that initiative so i want you to share maybe on this platform that if that project Want, should come to life, uh, what could be the collaborations that can help you in the Indian market? Or what? where could be the base that any support that you're looking out for from India?
1: Uh, so I mean, in India, the hardest thing I find is to like raise money for innovation. Yeah. And because, you know, innovation, it can go either way, right? And so no, like people don't really want to invest in it. So th- that is a challenge that we face. Uh, in India particularly, but uh, like we are starting this um, innovation challenge in uh, Paris with a lot of partners from all over the world, from Kenya, Vietnam. And every all of these partners from all over the world have different technologies that they're bringing to the table. And in Paris, we're creating this micro factory, which would exhibit these technologies and only work on R&D because even our technology at this point, we know that we can make these products out of it. But you know, if we want to create like wallpapers, then we know that we need certain refinement to our technology. And we need, you know, labs that can do testing that can identify the problems. And because, you know, at our home space, we can only have, we have taken the technology to this level, but now we do need like professional help. Right. And because none of us at Conserve are, you know, uh, materials engineers or, uh, you know, who have a background in chemicals. And so that's why uh, I'm very excited about this project in Paris, which Nestle has funded. sorry. I mean, we want to replicate that microfactory once it's created in Paris and we understand what are the challenges challenges then we would like to recreate it in India because in India you know there are many many organizations who have brilliant technologies but they just don't know how to scale because the technology is not perfect yet and to have this kind of a R&D lab would be very beneficial for Indian innovators.
0: Interesting and so why was the reason you chose Paris as your R&D base?
1: So uh, because Nestle France is uh, providing their lab. So oh, that's okay. why the first micro factory is going to come up in Paris.
0: Awesome. That's really cool. So is it, um, so it okay, it would be a, pa- a partnership with Nestle?
1: Uh, yes. So Periyar uh, Nestle's brand is funding the project. And okay. um, because the ultimate goal is to find a uh, sustainable packaging for uh, Per and Nestlé's other companies. so but we have showcased our technologies at a conference that happened last year in Paris, and they've selected these technologies that yes, these have potential, but they need to be refined further. That's
0: really cool. How did you catch hold of uh, Perr uh, as a brand? like was there an incubator or oh, so we
1: part we part of the Ashoka network. Uh, the ashoka fellows so ashoka india had uh, nominated our name to so science uh, this organization in france which was conduct which had partnered with teriar to conduct this conference Thank and you. so that way we reached there
0: <laughs> that's that's super cool now that you have a global presence as well as um, a, a good domestic presence How is the consumer behaviours in India and outside India?
1: Very, very different. So, I mean, like the aware citizens of India today, uh, you know, who are in the sustainable fashion field, like truly, they are pretty much like the customers, the regular customers in Europe. It's just, you know, the difference of um, the size of this audience. So like in Europe and not like all of Europe, but, you know, more like Sweden, Germany, uh, France, Netherlands, like all of these uh, countries, especially like the size of this audience who is aware of these problems and who is uh, asking the right questions is much larger than the people and the size of the audience in India who are aware. I mean, that's just what, why we're here today, right? So that we can increase the size of that audience. And, you know, so that everybody starts asking the right questions and making the right purchase decisions.
0: Right. And uh, if, in case, what, what is the one drawback of domestic consumers? Have they given, shared a feedback, why they don't want to get this product or something like that?
1: Uh, So for our products specifically, uh, when I've done like face to face sales, uh, then there is this consumer mindset on, you know, like if it's come from the landfill, then why should we buy it? And I also understand where they're coming from, like, you know, growing up in India, like in Delhi, Bombay, like you've just seen so much waste all your life. And then suddenly, you know, somebody saying like, oh, waste, tea know, you know, at, a you know, quite an expensive price, you know, relatively speaking to how in like, you know, the Indian shopping framework. So, uh, so I understand where they're coming from, but it's just that, you know, we try to explain to them that no, it's been sanitized properly. It's absolutely clean. And, you know, like, and the material is really great uh, to touch and feel. So, like, you know, only people who are okay, then that, you know, it's fine. Like, of course, you know, it must be clean. And because it's, we've been exposed to it, you know, because obviously this kind of a issue um, runs in many, many industries about, you know, you don't know where the raw materials are coming from, but uh, you just don't know it. So, you know, you have no problem with it. But uh, over here, so that's why over here, we also initially tried to not show the story that, you know, the product should just like sell on its own so that's why even on the lifasa website we don't like write anything about the process of how the material is made which was very different to our marketing strategy uh, that we employ for making sales in europe or america because mm-hmm. over there the people are more interested in the story and you know if it's really helping the planet if it's really helping the people then that is a added bonus for them to buy the product
0: it is surprising to me that uh, even in India story is not selling as much and it's strange. It, it's an eye opener for me too. So could you throw some light of? Now we understand that most of the products from the fashion industry touches our body. It touches our skin through some way or the other. So what, if a consumer should know what is the sanitation process, could you explain it to them?
1: Uh, I mean, I would just give you a relative comparison. Of course, you're right about, uh, you know, plastics not being good for our skin. But saying that we also all need to stop wearing uh, plastic blended fabrics that we, you know, very comfortably wear every day. So that's why at least in our material, the density of the uh, material is very high and the thickness is high. So the leaching is going to be low but mm-hmm. in fabrics like the thinner the material the you know easily it will leach into your skin yeah but i mean that point aside our uh, sanitation process is uh, very like stringent and on what, how we do it? We test batches after each batches are uh, each batch is cleaned, and we use a uh, like. And I mean, the good thing about plastic is that nothing really sticks to it, and if uh, and we collect plastic that is relatively clean. So that's why we just then wash it with like detergent, and uh, we have this uh, special. Uh, Cleaning agent. First, it's washer detergent, and then there's the cleaning agent, especially for plastics that we use. And after that, the material is I mean tested in batches to ensure that it's clean. Uh, and also, we know that our exports products are going to be tested at customs in Germany and France because they have these importing laws, and that's why we've ne- never had a problem with it.
0: Awesome. You mentioned uh, about grs certification what is that
1: it's the global recycling standard Okay. and so it is a like a compliance uh, certification where you have to uh, apply for it and then you go through this process where they will come and check your processes and ensure that you qualify into the certification
0: okay all right and um, it so, according to you, it would be ideal if all the sustainably working brands opt for this certification. Am I right?
1: Yes. I mean, uh, this Yeah, this is only for recycling. So, it depends what the sustainable brand, you know, says they are doing. Like, either you source ethically or, uh, I mean, you know, what part of sustainability? Because sustainability is just a very broad term. Yeah. And so you have to also narrow it down and, uh, you know, ensure that the in your communications that you're putting the right things. Like, you know, are you talking about your sourcing practices or the materials that you're sourcing? Or is it your business model? Like, you know, what is it about the business that it makes it a sustainable business?
0: Absolutely. That's a good point. With your um, amazing global experience, right from when your parents were also managing the business. I have this question of which country is doing great and in terms of um, sustainably managing fashion and who should India, our Indian brands be taking inspiration from?
1: Personally, uh, I would think that Netherlands has done a lot and like their work on climate change, on fashion, uh, it's been leading, like the Fashion for Good Institute that has been launched in Amsterdam. So all of these are like big steps that are having a global impact, and also just like thrifting, veganism, like you know all of this. It's not one movement that is you know gaining momentum. It is all of this coming together to really like make uh, like make a culture change.
0: Yeah, that's very well put. And what has been one. One one important learning through your journey so far in terms of uh, gradually shifting to an environment-conscious lifestyle.
1: One learning? I mean, just to like go back to your old uh, methods that, you know, we've seen our grandmothers and, you know, grandparents doing. And, you know, reuse your bottles, um, you know, mend your clothes, uh, buy good uh, quality, fa- like, you know, clothes and not... Uh, trendy wear and you know that lasts for generations like you know I still have you know some garments from my grandmother and they're you know perfectly fine and it's just that you know we need to just go back to our older traditions of you know and like all of the curtains, saris, everything was recycled. And it's yeah. in the Indian system, we are blessed to already be aware of all of these practices. It's just that we're losing touch with them and we just need to go back to them. Right. It's just how you take it, right? It's about your mindset.
0: Absolutely. And this is one um, one question that I have always had. When um, I think in India, there is a lot of perception that business for environment, or say, for example, even social enterprises or NGOs cannot, do not have that opportunity to scale up and make money and be a good, have a good entrepreneurial journey. So um, I want to break that notion. I want to do that mythbuster. And if you could share some good learnings, even on that entrepreneurial journey, how economy and environment can work, go hand to hand.
1: So I think like fair trade enterprises and there are, uh, I think, about 150 fair trade enterprises in India that I know about. And they have proven over the last 20, 30 years, you know, they have proven the test of time uh, that, uh, that you know, you can care about the people, planet and profits together. So I think we have sufficient case studies to, you know, prove this uh, point. And it's just that of course you can't demand the same prices that you do but it's also about understanding that you know there's more there's more in a price of a product than just the cost of manufacturing it and just to broaden our uh, mind to understand what these additional costs are and that is ultimately what we're paying for Mm -hmm. right so so I think, but yes, of course, you know, access to funding and every, like, you know, these things are still a challenge, like, you know, to find social impact investors who think on the same lines as you, who, because also measuring impact is still a global debate, like how do you measure impact? And, you know, on a social investment that an investor is making, of course, you know, their returns are important, but, you know, the returns on the community, the returns on the planet are Also, they also need to be taken into account. And it's just a field that we're still learning about in India and all over the world as well. But uh, I think India is a little behind on it. And uh, we just need to pick up the pace.
0: Thanks. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And where can, if someone who's interested in sustainable fashion, could you suggest what are some good resources to look at or organizations to study about? I'm sure Lefafa is one of them.
1: <laughs> so I mean, I I mean I know of like uh, education, uh, like awareness creating portals uh, like yourself who do like case studies and things. So one of them is like the Circular Collective, uh, then uh, the Circular Economy Asia. Uh, So Ellen MacArthur Foundation definitely works on many, many broad aspects, but it's still, you know, one of a great, like the best place to get resources. And uh, yes, beyond that, I think it's just, uh, you know, general awareness, like even if you're just on Instagram. And and you learn about these things because, like, you know, Instagram, everybody has it on the, in their hand right now. And, you know, you can choose to educate yourself about all of these things or you can choose to, you know, listen to any nonsense things. <laughs> <laughs> it says you have what you choose to do with your time because, you know, everything's out there.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And I would, um, now we're reaching towards the end of our segment. So, Two, two questions from my side, one is how can our listeners contribute to your initiative or be a part of your journey, whoever is across India or even outside of India?
1: Uh, so I, I would just uh, like uh, to invite them to like you know follow our work and because uh, we never know like you know when uh, collaborations start happening And uh, we've seen that, you know, a lot of people that started following our work, even when we started doing something else, which were not completely in sync with what they're doing, today, you know, has ended up in, like, creating a lot of mutually beneficial collaborations. So I think it's just important that you, whatever seems interesting, you start following them and keeping in touch. So that's one thing. And secondly, like, you know, I just want to, like request everybody to start asking more questions on like what uh, what are they buying why are they buying it do they really need it is this product good enough like you know is it like just something you're buying on a whim and these are just some points that we all need to consider when we are shopping or making life uh, you know just lifestyle choices
0: thank you in fact that those are really some important questions that i think each (laughs) one of us irrespective of our boundaries should be asking every time we shop so um yeah i i forgot to ask you about um, w- what are your origins where are you from in terms of city life growing up
1: <laughs> oh i've always uh i've been born and brought up in delhi and uh, yeah, only my engineering. For my engineering, I went to Manipal in South India. So a, I like to say I'm half South Indian because I love everything South Indian. But, uh, awesome. I'm, I'm a one of them. <laughs> 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 yes.
0: Thank you so much, Kanika, for joining us. Hey, so how did you like it? I hope you enjoyed listening to a different take on sustainable fashion. Well, I really liked how, through her brand, Lefafa, and their organization, Conserve India, Kanika and her team are offering an alternate for leather, which for sure is animal-friendly and environment-conscious. They sure have taken a creative, um, creative approach to reducing the landfill waste and also in a way cleaning up River Yamuna. And uh, to be honest, I appreciate how thoughtful they are towards offering a fair livelihood to the rack pickers and the artisan community, thereby offering a mutual and value-added support. Their focus on research and development and their openness towards an environment-conscious technology will surely pave a way in future for them to reduce their carbon emissions on a much larger scale. Hope we got your interest, we got you interested so do check out the link for their website which is available in our show notes oh by the way, I'm relying on you to help me spread the word right tell at least two friends your family members and even your close ones about us and show them how to download the podcast and how to find Circular Business Podcast India and if wherever you are allows you to then please subscribe to our podcast. It is free and it only means that you will get every episode automatically. Don't forget our hashtag Circular Business Podcast India or hashtag CBPI. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.